Welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. I am absolutely thrilled to have one of my favorite guests of all time. That's right. If you've been a guest on this show, you should be jealous of this person because Deb Gabor is one of my favorite interviews. This one of the absolute top five interviews I've done over the last three years. Deb is a branding guru. She's an impresario, an evangelist. She's written a couple of books on branding. One of them has my favorite title of all time, and that's Branding is Sex. Her, her other book is Irrational Loyalty. And candidly, if you're not reading Branding is Sex, you're doing yourself a disservice. Deb's the founder and CEO of Soul Marketing, a strategy-led marketing firm obsessed with solving major business and branding problems for every client in every industry. Companies throughout the world use Deb's brand values pyramid, her ideal customer archetype, and brand swagger questions to align their teams and articulate their brands to audiences. Look, she's been featured everywhere. I could spend 45 minutes just doing her introduction, but let's just have her completely blow us away with her knowledge and her ability to keep us not only entertained, but to educate us. Join me in welcoming Deb Gabor to the Inside BS Show. All right, Deb, it's great to have you back. I am, I can't tell you how happy I am to have you here, especially we're recording this on a Friday and there is no better way to end my week than with branding is sex. So tell people where that title came from and tell them why branding is sex. Well, you've heard me say this before, and I also have to say, like, what a spectacular introduction <laughs> you gave me. I felt myself blushing. My ears were getting hot. And I, I'm getting to this place where I'm trying to identify the sensations in my body and, like, associate them with feelings. And so that feeling was a little bit um, pride and surprise. So thank you so much. But branding as sex, where that comes from, I can sum up the entire book in one sentence. And that is the best brands in the world are the ones that get their customers laid. And I think that's what you and I talked about last time. And there's a great story about where branding as sex actually comes from. And it comes from my work. So I grew up in the technology industry. I know I look like I'm 25, but I literally have been doing this kind of work for 30 years. Uh, most of the time with B2B brands, either technology companies or companies with technology enabled value propositions. And as you know, the people who founded those companies and lead those companies, a lot of times they come up through the technical ranks. They're software developers, they're analysts, they're engineers. They, they aren't necessarily the kinds of people who are super in touch with their feelings like I am. And branding is about creating these deep emotional connections that, that make that condition of irrational loyalty. And so one day I was sitting in front of one of these tech CEOs who is very well known for being kind of a bastard, and I'm gonna, not gonna mention any names here, and trying to get him and his leadership team on the same page about server operating systems. Server operating systems are possibly the least sexy thing that anyone can get in the technology industry. And in a fit of frustration, when I was trying to really, really tap into this idea that in order to really differentiate and carve out a unique role and relevance in the marketplace, that you had to make a deep emotional connection with someone because it's a highly commoditized marketplace, these guys were just not getting it. And this particular CEO really wasn't getting it. And he said, Deb, this is complete bullpucky. Get out of my face. There is no reason for us to try to make an IT guy the hero of his own story. And I was frustrated and I got down real close to him and I looked him in the eye and I was like, hey man, I wanna know, how does this server operating system get that IT guy laid? 
And what he did was he like rolled back in his rolling chair and he put his arms up real high and he said, he's like, all right, I totally get it. And then he told me this incredible story about how a server operating system could get an IT guy laid. And that is the origin of branding as sex. So when I was writing that book, I had told that story to my publisher and uh, somebody on the publishing team said, oh my gosh, that would be a great title. And at first I was really afraid to go to market with a book that had both the work sex and laid in the title because the subtitle is get your customers laid and sell the hell out of anything. But I could say that books, it sells like crazy. The, the books fly off the shelf. No, no, the title is great. You know, another reason I love Dev Gabor is because she's a dog person. And <laughs> you can, look, it is perfect. I have two dogs running around here. Yeah. Every time the UPS guy or the mailman comes, the whole place goes nuts. It's awesome. There is nothing more 2021, nothing more pandemic than having your dogs involved in the interview. <laughs> so here's the funny thing about this dog. She's 16 years old and she's completely deaf. So she must have seen a leaf blow across the street. This is what I always say about her. This is what she's thinking. She's thinking, I don't always bark, but when I do, it's at nothing. So anyway, my apologies. No, it's no, so no, 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 You have no idea. So I, I get so many questions. We're fortunate that while I'm doing this interview, I, I might have to let her in the room. Yeah, yeah, let her in. Go ahead. Ridiculous. All right. Earlier today, I was doing a broadcast and one of my cats was sitting on this red couch right here. The other one was on the table behind me. Both of them were licking their butts at the same time. Well, we just we just I, there was just a cat on there a minute ago. I yep. did uh, I, I did a show. I don't know. It's got to be five or six weeks ago. And I, I have two I have two American Bulldog puppies and they're uh, they're going to be 10 months old in a week and a half. They're, the big one is 80 pounds. The small one is 65 pounds and they're not finished growing yet. So I'm doing the show and I, I have a camera that lets me, that's okay, Deb, leave it. I have a camera that lets me, that lets me zoom in really tight on my face. So I see them coming in the door. I zoom in as tight as I can on my big fat face and the dogs start wrestling and they're bumping into me. So I'm moving to the side while the dog's hitting my leg. It must have looked like I was having a seizure. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so can you say this? During one of my live broadcasts, the doorbell rang, and I was like, I can ignore it. And then it just kept ringing, ringing, ringing. And so I told everybody, and I literally had an audience of like, I don't know, 150 people, and I said, hold right there. And I told my producer, I said, you can talk about earned, paid, and shared media, can't you? And he looked at me with these big eyes. So I went to the door, and who was at the door? I was receiving a booze order. Nice. So there was there was a delivery person with like three handles of Tito's vodka. And and I said, can you just leave them on the porch? I'm doing a thing. And he was like, no, I need to see your ID. You gotta, so you you gotta show ID. Thing. Yeah, a total wine. You gotta show ID. Absolutely. You can't, they won't just yeah. leave it. <laughs> But it's that interesting. Is, like that is pandemic life. There's no there's nothing more real than those two stories. That's what happens. What are you gonna do? A hundred percent. But you know what's really interesting about it? You said that there's nothing more 2020, 2021 than listening to a dog bark or receiving a booze delivery in the middle of a broadcast or an interview or something like that. The pandemic has created this situation where we are going directly into people's homes and we have to strip away all of the pretense and people have to show up as authentic and and as them there has never been a time in history where there has been more humanity broadcast 
to literally, you know, millions of people at a right. time. You know, I think about that funny video from the beginning of the pandemic that was uh, an interview like on CNBC with an oh, it was the, C the on... CNN guy and his nanny. Yeah, the baby yeah, yeah, walks yeah. in and he, and the nanny, you see the nanny's hand come through the door, grabbing yeah. the back of the kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's life and that's humanity. And so one of the things that I've been doing over the course of the pandemic is really helping brands themselves show up as authentic because human beings have been fundamentally changed by their experience of the pandemic and all of the ensuing social justice movement, right. the presidential election, uh, you know, the capital insurgents, all of the things that have happened just since January 6th, like everything is changing and human beings have fundamentally changed and they are requiring that the brands that they love are being authentic to them and showing their values and beliefs and part of our values and beliefs are like what's happening inside of our homes so talk a little bit about so since you mentioned this talk a little bit about the pivot that you made with your business because you did something really sharp and it really paid off for you so tell folks what you did with your business and how you shifted because of the pandemic yeah, absolutely. So for the last four years, ever since Branding of Sex came out and it got real popular and then I got real popular as a brand dominatrix, I had been spending most of my time traveling all over the world, speaking to groups of executives and CEOs and entrepreneurs and, and salespeople all around the world. Uh, and uh, the pandemic clipped my wings. When South by Southwest canceled, which was the first of my speaking engagements that got canceled for the year, I watched all of the rest of the dominoes fall. And in the spirit of the Stockdale paradox, I faced the brutal facts of my own reality, but also asked myself, how can I be indispensable to people at this time? So all of a sudden, here I am, basically without a job, right? Thankfully, I have a company where I could go retreat and go back and play CEO again. And I was like, yes, I'm going to provide leadership to the organization, but that's only going to take about half my time. What am I going to do with the other half of my time? So I moved very, very quickly to share my expertise with other people with the spirit of not asking for anything in return. I am very fortunate to be very well resourced in the business world, meaning I have connections, I have education, I have practices and, and tools and techniques and, and this incredible ecosystem of people and knowledge. And what I did was I took to the internet and I started sharing my expertise with other people to help them be able to mitigate risk in the near term, reimagine their brands for the, for the mid and post pandemic world bring all of these people together without asking for anything in return and if you remember back at the beginning of the pandemic the internet was full of content wasn't it like everybody who who was a self-styled thought leader who had a book who had a podcast who had whatever everybody we all took to the internet at the same time well you know what happened by the end of april everyone else got tired of it and i kept doing it and continued to share and what happened in in the spirit of giving this very counterintuitive method of trying to cultivate and engage an audience just by giving things away for free, that's exactly what happened. I grew my own audience probably fourfold and then tenfold, and, and I cultivated this incredible community of people who, interestingly enough, they started leaning forward to tell us what they wanted to buy from us. And out of that, a brand new line of business was born. So people like me who, who write books and who are speakers and who do media, and that's, that's the way that they make most of their living, we all lost our platform, mm. right? Unless we were already out there on the internet or we had a podcast or we had a show like you do, a, a lot of people had, had lost that ability to do it. 
Thankfully for me, I had invested significantly in the previous years in building a platform for me to monetize my expertise and share that with other people without requiring me to be there in person. And people started leaning forward saying, how do I do what you're doing? And I was like, well, lo and behold, we figured out how to do it. We stood up an authority marketing practice and immediately signed up. I want to say like within the first two months, we signed up eight eight coaches, speakers, authors, thought leaders, consultants, and then, um, you know, really, really rapidly grew that business. The cool result of launching a new business, cultivating a much larger audience, engaging people in a different way, it fixed a couple of the strategic problems with my business. So I run a services business. It's largely, you know, like a consulting business, kind of like yours. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that are dangerous to services businesses are when you don't have recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. So like when you work exclusively on a project basis, you're always chasing the next project, right? right. The second thing is sometimes we end up having an over-reliance on one or two or you know three major clients that if one of those clients disappears or they make a change in strategy, you lose all that business and the bottom falls out of your business. Well, the pandemic fixed those problems for me because we stood up a practice that requires monthly recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. We're working with a whole new set of potential clients and, and clients that we weren't working with before. And it completely changed the nature of our business. And the last thing I'll say about that is that it had this incredible effect where revenue was down. I mean, the bottom fell out of my business in April, May, June, and revenue is still down. However, this was one of our most profitable years in business ever. And I'm proud to say that I was able to take some of that excess profitability and share that back with employees. And we gave every single employee of my company a 13th month of pay as like a win bonus for getting through 2020 with me. Yeah, that's amazing. That's such a great story. Uh, you know, one of the questions I have for you is this, and I want to, um, you're a very direct person, so I'm going to word it in a very direct way, but I'm going to try and be artful so that the listeners don't take it in the wrong way. You, you have the ability to be successful without doing speaking and the traveling and all of that mishigas that, uh, that, that a lot of people think is a real business. Okay. My opinion is speaking is even publishing, even writing books and getting them published. Those are forms of media. And the best opportunities I get are from people who see me speak or from people who read my books. If I tried to rely on speaking as a way to make a living or publishing as a way to make a living, I would be, if I try to rely on speaking alone, I, I would be dead. I've spoken 70 times a year and I had to compromise on my fees to get some of those gigs and I had to travel way more than I wanted to travel. I had to compromise with my lifestyle. It wasn't until I realized that speaking was just one form of lead generation marketing that I really leveraged speaking for what it was worth. It wasn't until I realized that even though the, the publisher and my editor and my agent told me that I needed to sell a lot of books, even though they were saying that, that selling one book to the right person was far more valuable than selling 100 books to people who will never read them, okay? I bumbled and stumbled my way into that, but you had a great business. You have a great business now. What brought you to speaking and publishing? I, I'm trying to figure out why somebody with a great business, really smart, could charge whatever you want for consulting. Why would you want to go on the road and do all that speaking? 
First of all, it's a compulsion. I don't know if you saw the cat back there. <laughs> oh, the cat's great. Keep going. That is cats. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That was another new addition during the uh, the pandemic. Her name is Coco Kitty. She's my COVID cat. Um, I have a very, very soft heart. I have this hard exterior, but like deep down, I love kittens. Um, so, so first of all, it's a compulsion. When I wrote my first book, it was because I felt compelled to share my message with other people, not because I wanted to sell a lot of books, mm -hmm. not because I wanted to have a calling card for my business, not because I wanted to show the world that I'm a published author or anything like that, which by the way, anybody who writes a book and gets it published, like that is an effing amazing feat. And, and there are very, very few people in the world who can say that they've done that for me. I was on a mission. I'm still on a mission. Like I'm a very, very mission sort of passion driven person. I'm on a mission to impact a million brands by the end of my career. You can't impact a million brands if through your 14 person company in Austin, Texas in the United States can only work with about 30 clients a year. Right. So I needed a way to share this information with other people, frankly, in a very easy to consume and easy to understand way. I mean, you like branding is sex like that's the key message you don't even have to read the freaking book to know what the what the brand what the book is about right my it was part of my mission so that was number one it just was it's part of the platform of getting the message out there so every time somebody reads a book every time i go on a podcast interview every time i do an interview with uh forbes or fortune or mm -hmm. inc magazine or any of these other publications that i'm always doing interviews with i have the opportunity to touch another person and get closer and closer to that that million person mark you said a really interesting thing about speaking which i'm really fortunate that for the past couple of years i have been able to make a good living off of speaking i took myself off salary in my company and made it a personal challenge can I make enough in speaking fees and in workshop fees that I can support myself, take myself off the books and then make myself a client of my business? And so that was part of doing that. I will say that I've had many experiences, especially over the course of the last year, where I've spoken for free to a highly qualified, highly engaged audience who needed to hear what I had to say. And I had one recent speaking engagement where I think there were 14 people. It was like a Vistage group or something like that. I got two clients out of that, each of them worth over $100,000 a year. Right. I look 100%. at speaking, I I look at speaking as a top of the funnel activity. And the more highly qualified the audience, the less necessary it is for me to have a fee for that. And over the course of the pandemic, I have done, I don't know, probably close to 150 speaking engagements, maybe only half of them paid. And you can't charge the same thing for speaking to people over Zoom that you can when you're actually in the room with right, them. Right. Yet, it's really helped the business grow. The other thing that I've done, and you know, this is, this is sort of the key of authority marketing. Authority marketing is really about giving of yourself and giving of your content and sharing that with other people. Every time you speak, if you have a video, take little clips of that and repurpose it and atomize it in your content, bring new people into it. You know, there, there are so many opportunities to give those, those moments in time a longer shelf life. Yeah, no, no, I love it. I think, look, you and I agree on that 100% completely. Now, you are you mentioned that you're working with a lot of the people who used to speak and used to rely on speaking for their livelihood. How do you, so now I'm sure that audience is wonderful for you and you're, and you're engaged in working with them. 
one of the things that I found when I tried to work with people like that is it was incredibly frustrating because speaking to a lot of people is like crack, right? You do it once and you get that, the, uh, the adulation from the, the, the feeling you get from the crowd, the adrenaline rush, and you can't wait to do it again. So these people have become prolific at finding a speaking engagement, nailing it down, closing the deal, going from one gig to the other. And then all of a sudden the pandemic puts the brakes on that and you tell them, okay, we got to find another way to make a bit, to, to make money, to, to grow a business. How, what has your experience been in working with that type of person whose, their entire persona, their ego was wrapped up in the applause they get as they leave the stage? What is your experience oh in God. working with that person? How do you get them to shift? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like my my own personal journey, and I'm a firm believer in not giving advice where it's not been solicited or people are not paying me for it. In the case of authority marketing, people are paying are paying me and my colleagues for it. And and so there's a little bit of, I, I'll call it therapy that has to take place, which is really helping to understand the mindset shift. Uh, this is where the Stockdale paradox comes in really nicely. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but this the Stockdale paradox is a principle that comes from Jim Collins's book, Good to Great. And he had the opportunity to interview Admiral James Stockdale about being a prisoner of war back in the Vietnam War. And, you know, the observation that Collins had was that there were many, many people who who were prisoners of war. Not all of them were able to go on and do great things in their lives and asked Stockdale, so to what do you owe your success? And what Admiral Stockdale said was that it wasn't the people who were most hopeful and unrealistically optimistic, but the people who were able to face the brutal facts of their own reality head on and maintain an amount of hope and optimism were the people who were able to sort of transcend that experience. Stockdale paradox like really, really came into play for me personally, as well as for other people. And I have a coach and my coach and I actually came up with an exercise around the Stockdale paradox, which really requires people first, and this is what we've done with our clients, to face the brutal facts of their own reality, even write them down. Like brutal fact number one, all my speaking engagements are canceled. Brutal fact number two, I'm grounded for some unforeseeable amount of time. Brutal fact number three, I have no effing income, right? Um, Brutal fact number four, et cetera, but also the brutal facts of opportunity and things like that. Then we have people renew their focus on their core values and their core purpose. Like what is the underlying core ideology that that has sort of brought you to the place that you are so renew focus on your core values what are you about what do you stand for it's soul marketing they're yes and we do hard things be the ceo of your own desk a win for one is a win for all and use your magic and so through the lens of those core values ask this major question how can we be indispensable to people at this time And this is where the pivots come from. This is where those inspirations for new business models and new ideas and new ways, especially for thought leaders, to share their content. This is where that all came from. And we use that as the basis of figuring out what are the next steps. The final piece of that Stockdale Paradox exercise is make an action plan. And that action plan, these are the specific things that I'm going to do. I think we called it the 100-day plan, Mm. you know, in the spirit of being like, 
you know, all historical and stuff. Like we had a hundred day plan. FDR had a hundred day plan. You have a hundred day plan, but put together a very specific plan who, what, when, and you know, what's the measure of success. And so that's how we've been able to like help people sort of like transform their mindset. Often when we are faced with the brutal facts of our reality, all we see are the negatives. But if you can kind of walk through this process of identifying the opportunities by looking at them through the lens of your purpose, your mission, your vision, your values, and how you can be indispensable to people. For me, for instance, how I could be indispensable to people. I get branding. I can share information with branding with non-marketers. Like marketers freaking hate me. But, you know, people who are executives and business leaders, they love what I have to say about it. They can get their head around it. And I decided there was never a better time than then to share that information with those people to help them envision how to transform their businesses. Yeah, no, I I, I love it. I think I, again, I think you're I think you're right on the money. That's probably one of the reasons why you're my favorite guest because I'm in alignment with you on uh, on many many things. Tell me about your goal for attracting recurring revenue. Was did you not have a recurring revenue model pre pandemic? And then you had to build it, you know, you're building the parachute as you jump out of the plane type of thing. Yeah. So I, I've been running this company for 17 years, or I had been running the company for 17 years, like by the time the pandemic hit. And interestingly, I very proudly built the company with this message in mind, instead of paying your marketing agency for effort you know, in the form of long-term retainer agreements that don't necessarily drive the appropriate behavior on either side of those relationships. We work exclusively on a project basis, right? Everything has a big beginning, a middle and an end, and you pay for results and you pay for value. You're not paying for effort. And I was very proud of that. And that was part of our positioning and our messaging and things like that. Well, I shot myself in the foot, right? Because as I said before, when you work on a project basis, you're always scrambling for the next for the next project. And um, while that was appropriate for 2003, when I first went out there and started doing that, it wasn't appropriate for like really being able to create escape velocity for me and my business. And so um, recurring revenue is one of those things. We just didn't have a model and the kind of work that we do, we do, I, I like to describe it as brand driven strategy led marketing. It is very unusual to do marketing that way, but every agreement and every every relationship that we have with clients starts with like this this major strategy sprint that we do. Well, previously we were just stopping at the strategy sprint and letting clients, you know, live up to their own devices to take it to market on an increasing basis. And this is really important for everybody who's listening to this. On an increasing basis, clients were starting to ask us, "Can you help us with this?" or "Where do I turn turn to and I and I was sending people elsewhere and I was like wait a second we we can build this skill set in-house who better to take a brand to market than the people who created the brand I have an expertise in marketing my team has an expertise in marketing why are we the advisors and not the doers and so we brought all of those capabilities in-house we were able to increase customer lifetime value we were able to increase our value to those customers and increase the amount of irrational loyalty that they have with us and we could accelerate the process of getting them to market in an efficient and effective and profitable way yeah yeah good that's great that's fantastic I think your um, your resilience is well. Let me ask you where where did that resilience come from? I mean, you know, March March thirteenth, I I'm, I was in the car with my wife driving uh, to from my house to downtown Miami for an appointment. 
when uh, we, you know, heard the news that school was going to be canceled. And, it, and I listened, to, I think we were listening to a press conference about two weeks to stop the spread. And I looked at her and I said, <laughs> yeah. and I, I looked 14 at, days. yeah, I looked at her and I said, I think this is going to be really bad. And she said, 9-11 bad or 2008 bad? And I said, I don't know, but we got we to gotta make sure we, I, I have to go, when, when I get back to the office, I got to call all my clients and I got to, I got to preemptively calm them down or we're not going to have any money (laughs) because that's everyone's first reaction is, and my, my big clients, my, my large corporate clients, it was exactly as I had predicted their first, the knee jerk reaction is immediately stop all outside spending and go lay off everybody that we think sucks. So because we're the same, yeah, because we're cowards, you know, and we don't have the ability to have an honest conversation with people. This pandemic is going to be the excuse to go down to accounting and get rid of that guy, Joe, who I can't stand. That's what all of our that's what all of our corporate clients. That was that was what they did. So, you know, rather than sit in my office and wait for those phone calls one by one, I called the corporate clients and I said, look, you're probably thinking of this. And here's what I'd like to do. And, and I, I created a group, like a CEO group for, for, or executive group for the CEOs and executives that I worked with. And I said, it's going to be free of charge. Even if you decide you can't afford me, we're going to keep the group together to make sure that we have, you know, we have idea sharing going on during a tough time. And then my sole practitioner or my small firm folks, I got a very different reaction. The reaction was, are you kidding? We need you now more than ever. You need to tell us what the next thing to do is, right? Mm -hmm. So the smart thing, keeping the CEOs together by July, everybody realized that the two weeks to stop the spread was going to be more like two years and that they had to figure out, the big companies had to figure out a way to navigate their way through this. And most of them, two thirds of them thought I could be helpful with that. The smaller folks are still with me. They were with me the whole time and they've like rabbits, they've multiplied. The stable has just gotten bigger because they, you know, everybody's telling their friends, look, this Lorenzo guy, he's got some ideas that seem to be working. You should, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't cost a lot to connect with him. Let's see what, let's see if he can help you. So you're, you're spot on in that, um, the, the relationship is, you know, you're being the irrational loyalty. I think you tell me you're the expert comes from a foundation that starts with your relationship with with the with the people you service. Absolutely. So, uh, irrational loyalty. Just to define it for everybody, irrational loyalty is that condition where you feel so indelibly bonded to somebody that you'd feel like you were cheating on them if you were to defect or if you were to choose a competitor. It's how I feel about my iPhone. And whenever I meet someone new and we exchange fo- phone numbers, and I get green text bubbles from them, I'm like, "What? What's wrong with you? Why do why why do you use an Android device?" There's nothing rational about that. But irrational loyalty is the condition that has enabled people to sustain those relationships and grow those relationships, especially in this most turbulent time. And that's what that book, Irrational Loyalty, is about. But, you know, um, think of the relationship being your brand. I mean, ultimately, a brand is a relationship, and that relationship is strengthened and weakened with every interaction that you have. And a brand relationship, your relationship with your clients, Dave, is like this. Every time you guys, you and your clients behave on brand for your relationship, meaning that your values and beliefs and your behaviors align, you make this deposit into this emotional bank account that you share. And that emotional bank account, every time you are there for them and you provide something to them that's indispensable that they can't get from anywhere else, or you boost them up or you provide them with a nugget of goodness that they 
that that they're always expecting from you you're contributing to that shared bank account that shared bank account is going up and up and up and it grows even even faster in times of turbulence like during the pandemic like this last year right that bank account because you're both depositing into it, it it's way positive and then what happens when when something shakes the foundation of your world you have enough positive equity shared in that bank account that it doesn't go negative and that's really what this idea of irrational loyalty is irrational loyalty is that thing like if you live with a kid or a spouse or or somebody like that that prevents you from throwing them out on their ear every time they do a crappy job of loading the dishwasher <laughs> right and or, so or they put know. the garbage can on the part of the curb where the truck doesn't pick it up so now you got no place to put the garbage for a week <laughs> Yes, during those 14 days that we were staying home to control the spread, my 23-year-old daughter came home and, and stayed with me here in Austin. There was a lot of leaving of wet towels on the bed and on the floor of the bathroom. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. Like that. and, yeah, and those, those are the things that prevent you from like kicking that person out on their rear end, right? And, and so during this time of the pandemic, we saw this accelerated importance in that shared emotional bank account. Now, you did say something that really stuck out in my mind, and that is that the larger company seem to be paralyzed, right? Of my clients, the ones that pulled the brakes the fastest and the hardest, of course, were the larger companies who were like no external spending, you know, reduction in force, all of those different things. They use the pandemic almost as an excuse to not do business, right? The people who are reinventing the business world are entrepreneurs and small business owners. The people who are out there doing the most creative things, who are coming up with the most resourceful responses to what happened to them, the ones that are showing the most resilience to me are entrepreneurs and small business owners. I have a lot of respect for the people that I know who are involved in large businesses. And those businesses are coming back to us because what, what they've realized is you can't stop communicating right? People are looking for leadership in, in times of difficulty. Way back at the beginning of the pandemic, I heard this great interview with General Stanley McChrystal, who commanded forces in Afghanistan, wrote this great book, Team of Teams. Like, I'm a huge fan. I was totally fangirling over this interview. But in the interview, the interviewer asked him, in times of crisis, how should our leaders be communicating with the world? And what McChrystal said was that in the absence of true information that people can rely on confidently, people fill the void with the worst ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody ever comes up with anything good. In places where we didn't hear from those big companies who were who were the brands that we love and that we patronize and that we need, all we were getting were these like hashtag we're in this together messages and you know 700 emails from the CEOs of companies and brands that we hadn't heard of because they didn't know what to say and they didn't know what to do. And so, so people were looking for leadership. The brands and the companies and the human beings who really stood up were the scrappy, resourceful, nimble, agile, thoughtful, creative, ingenious, small business owners and entrepreneurs. And I'm, I'm really, really proud to be part of that community. And I, and I've been, seriously energized by some of these amazing amazing pivots that i've seen just people you know coming up with incredible things uh you know new business models are popping up all over the place right and i think you know everything was a trend that was sort of coming to this point and then 
the pandemic accelerated it. So lots of smart business people out there. A lot of them, most of them, frankly, are coming from the small business and entrepreneurial world. Have you noticed that too? Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And your your thoughts on uh, the the leadership vacuum uh, have never been uh, more salient. You're you're seeing now what you're seeing now. Okay, and we're recording this now. This is this is going to be a classic uh, show that people will listen to a century from now. But we're recording this now at the, on the in the last week of January 2021, um, where there's a glimmer of hope on the horizon as far as the pandemic goes. We we just had we have a, a new president in office for you know less than 14 days. What we're seeing now here in the United States is the uh, the reemergence of a traditional leadership structure and the air being pulled out of that vacuum and all of the you know critters that have crept in to fill the vacuum void are being sucked out and they're they're resistant to being sucked out so we're going to go through a very uncomfortable time in the next 6 months as the you know the leadership uh, that that 80 million Americans craved ends up moving out all of the crap that came into the void that was created in a leadership vacuum setting my political bias aside you can you can see it and you can do an analysis of it objectively you know no leadership or even worse leadership that plays to our worst instincts as a people will enable this this and, and it, it happens in in corporate america too it's not just in the world of politics it's not just you know this this happened too because it, it got it was you know the media enabled it because the media loves dark you know uh bad news um you oh, yeah see- news is not dog bites man no News is man bites dog. I mean, look at all these big major brands that have been perennial Super Bowl advertisers, which, you know, we're in the last week of January 2021. We got a Super Bowl coming up unlike any other uh, at the end of next week. Super Bowl advertisers like Anheuser-Busch, InBev, um, Coke, Pepsi have pulled out because they know how hard it is to be a brand right now Mm -hmm. in this hotly charged environment where anything you say, anything you do is gonna be put under a microscope. And sometimes it's easier to just stay out of the conversation, even if the conversation is about drinking beer. And, you know, I, I, um, regardless of what your political views are, we were marching this way as a society anyway, like there were lots of trends that were demonstrating that our values and beliefs as individual human beings, like the authentic gooey insides inside of all of us were going to be challenged, right? That we like, no matter what side of whatever you fall on, like this is a time of discomfort. When you said discomfort, that really, really, that really resonated in me and sort of triggered me a little bit. But then here's my observation of discomfort. When has anything that has really pushed you forward and and forced you to grow and change and truly transform, when has that ever been comfortable? Right. It, right? it isn't. It isn't. No. If uh, By nature, change is not supposed to be comfortable. Change is, right. change is, you know, uh, change is uh, like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. That can't feel good, but the end product is beautiful. 
So you're, you know, it's not supposed to feel good. I think, you know, your point about uh, a vacuum being created is, uh, is profound for business because if you don't get out there with a message, a message is going to come out anyway. So you cannot allow that vacuum to form. And that's where we as a society fell down from a political perspective. People, and, and, you know, some people are still doing that. They're backing off and they're going, oh, no, no, I can't. It's going to be, you know, I'm going to, you know, there's going to be a negative tweet about me. I can't stand up for what I believe. Well, that's where the vacuum comes in. That's where every bad thing, and it could be pointed directly at you if you're a brand and you don't define yourself to the world, somebody else is going to define you and you're probably not going to like it. So you I sum that up by, yeah, I call that brand or be branded. You have a brand, whether you like it or not. And I would argue, Dave, that not if you are a brand, you are a brand. So you have to take control of it. You have to control the narrative, not vice versa. You, you are a brand and your brand isn't just about you. It's about everybody else. And so your brand is a magnet, right? I think I said this the last time we were together. Your brand is a magnet and it uses the values and beliefs of the brand and the people behind the brand or the person behind the brand to attract to it people who are aligned with those values and beliefs. That's what creates that condition of irrational loyalty. And yes, that vacuum of leadership, that vacuum of communication, you, you can fill that with your values and beliefs and stand up for what you are for. It's not enough to stand up against something. Right. You have right. to stand up for something. And and I think that that's something we, we started learning that probably, oh gosh, I think that this trend towards like brands really being bestowed with values and beliefs and using them as that magnet. I think that that really started accelerating probably around the 2016 election. The pandemic has just sped that trend up because your customers, regardless of what industry you're in and whether you're selling to consumers or you are selling to other businesses, there are human beings behind every decision. They need to see what your gooey insides are for because what they buy, what they eat, what they drink, what they wear, the software that they use in their business, the handbags that they carry, the cell phones that they use, whatever, all of those things are part of the people who use them and they have to use those things with pride and they have to feel like those are aligned with their brands. And now is a time we've never been more acutely aware of that, have we? Yes, you got to stand for something. If you don't, if you don't stand for something, nobody will ever be attracted to you. Or the people who will be attracted to you are people who are going to treat you or your product or your service like a commodity, because you'll be. You just, you just described the last eighteen years of dating for me. <laughs> <laughs> You're a commodity. I can find another one uh, just like you. That's the, that's the problem. It, you're a boss. I I was, <laughs> you're a boss. If I, was, I miss you, I'll hop on the next one that comes by. It's no problem. <laughs> oh my God. It's so sad because I'm so lonely and deeply existentially bored. And I live alone with two cats and a dog. Is this what's left for me for the rest of my life? I'm a commodity. Oh, Dave, it's so heartbreaking. <laughs> no, you are, you are far, far from a commodity. Talk to me, talk to me about, all right, so, so you and I are completely aligned on these things. How do you engage people who, uh, who come to you and they think they want to work with you or they've seen results you've produced, yet they just don't get it? 
right? Like, how do you, and I'm not, I'm not saying stupid people. I'm saying smart people mm -hmm. who just like you're, like you're a software engineer, right? Who you were able to, uh, able to use the analogy with to break through. How do you connect with people? Because now you're doing work where you're spending a lot of time with these folks and they really, a lot of them need to make some profound changes and they think they want to make the changes, but it's really, as we discussed, it's hard. How do you get mm -hmm. them on board? Well, first of all, I put a really, really strong velvet rope around what we do. What we do is only for the best brands in the world. And one of the best ways to engage people who are non-believers is we show them, this is what the best brands in the world do. These are the types of successes that they have. Do you want this? Are you willing to do the hard work for this? And that's a really good way to engage people in that conversation. I, I also strongly advocate for aiming your brand, whatever that brand is, aiming your brand at your singular ideal archetypal customer, the customer who is the most highly predictive of your success. And the more of those customers that you bring in, the fewer of them that you need because they're the most profitable, they're the most delightful to serve, they're the ones who are going to help advocate for your business, help you grow your business. They're your brand's champions. And so I honestly believe that the best businesses in the world are the ones that are willing to make hard choices, not about who they work with, but, but about who they don't work with. So when we see clients who come to the door, who I can't attract with a message of, here's what the best brands in the world are doing, and this could be possible for you by this, if I'm able to show you how to get there and what those results can look like along the way, are you willing to go in it with me? If they say no to that, if they don't exhibit the characteristics of the best brands in the world, or they don't exhibit the characteristics that meet our ideal client criteria, it's very easy for me to encourage them to pursue excellence elsewhere. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You but li like liber idea, liberate them, the liberate them to pursue other opportunities. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, and, and, um, I mean, this is true. Like this is, this is true of, of all kinds of relationships. We are not for anyone. The, the things that make my company unique, I mean, I work in Austin, Texas, there's probably 150 other firms that say that they do exactly what they do. The second of my brand swagger questions is, what is the one thing that people get from you that they can't get from anyone else? You can get strategy, you can get branding, you can get marketing, you can get research from, you know, thousands of other firms, right? But what you get from us that you don't get from anyone else is a kick in the ass. Oops, am I allowed to say that? Yes, you get a of kick course. In, we yeah. talked about branding being sex. You're worried about saying ass? You I know, you, I know. You I, just told I, people they could get laid by having a good brand. You're worried about somebody's ass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you get a kick in the ass for us. What I know about our ideal clients is that they are companies that are in growth mode. They have a grow or die mindset. They have a lot at stake to get it right. They are willing to do the hard work to get there. They want to be pushed. They want to be led. They want to be driven. They want someone to reflect into the blind win window and call bullshit on them and push them to be the best that they can be. I use those things as a screening mechanism. Mm. I come right out and I say, these are the characteristics of the best brands in the world. And here's what they did to go there. Are you willing to go to the distance with us? Because here's how that's going to feel. And here's the kind of result that you can get from that. And do I have your permission to show you how we can do that with you? I, 
once I get into the room or on the phone or on Zoom or whatever with a potential client, once they've sort of made it through that screening, my close rate is extraordinarily high. Sure. It's just very, very high because they're there because they want to be there and they need what I have and they need the one thing that they can't get from anyone else that we bring to the table, which is that kick in the ass. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. One of the things that, one of the things that we did, um, and it may not work for every business, but it works for us is in addition to, uh, we do some of the positive stuff that you talked about. We also put a lot of negative qualifiers out there. So, you know, if you have this quality, this quality, this quality, our, you know, it may not make sense for us to work together, but the oh final God, when thing, when you tell people we're not for you or you're not for us, they're like, well, shit, I want that. Yeah, it makes, it makes them want you even more. But the thing yeah. that, um, the thing that I did and it was, you, you want to talk about courage. It took a, a shit ton of courage. I don't know why I whispered that. I got a microphone right in front of me. It took a lot of courage to do this is we used to do this whole thing that a lot of people did where, oh, if you're, you know, we used to do a, we used to do a, um, a no questions asked, unconditional guarantee. And then we would do a conditional guarantee. I took all that crap away. And I said, look, here's what we do. This is our promise. This is what we will do. This is what you have to do. If we do this and you do this, this is what you can expect the results to be. You can expect the results to be within this range. If you decide you want to work with us, you pay us up front. And if for any reason the project gets derailed, we can put the project on pause for up to, you know, 90 days. In extraordinary circumstances, somebody gets sick, we can pause it for a longer period of time. However, there are no refunds. And here's the reason there are no refunds. There are no refunds to get you to move out of your comfort zone and take action. And I'm telling you this up front because if you have any hesitancy at all, you need to check it before we start working together. Is that fair? And... 85% of the time people say that's fair and I don't have a problem. The 15% of the time where people go, I'm just not sure, I say, think about it for six months and call me back. And I save myself and I save them a lot of heartache, a lot of aggravation, and I sleep well because I know that if they don't act on the advice that, because look, we're in the advice business and we can do mm-hmm. some implementation but I can't live your life, right? So, you know, we can only do what we can do. And I sleep well knowing that I'm doing the best I can to help you. And I've really extended myself. And if you don't want to take advantage of it or you're not ready, we had that discussion going in. But Deb, so many people, especially sole practitioners or small business owners are afraid to have that conversation because they think that having that conversation is going to chase people away. And you said it, that it does the exact opposite. And that's what you're talking about here. A hundred percent. We call that, it, it, it's called in the, uh, in the business world, we call it a brand promise guarantee, right? And the brand promise guarantee is not like your conditional guarantee or your unconditional guarantee. It is unconditional. Brand promise guarantee is designed, it's a catalytic mechanism, right? It's designed to push you, you Dave, me, Deb, our companies out of our comfort zone and push our clients into theirs by pushing them out of theirs right mm-hmm. it's a it's a really interesting it's a you, you know a catalytic mechanism it changes the the nature of that relationship it's transformative so I have in, yeah it's it, it is totally transformative so i have in the in the i want to say it's like the afterword of irrational loyalty i i have you know like sort of like a final a final note which is like if you don't believe 
that what I have to say here and what I've observed about the best brands in the world, the ones that are able to transcend the most turbulent times, and, and this is my practice and this is what I do. If you don't believe this, then like you can stop reading right here. If you do believe in this and you feel like this is something that you crave for your business so that you can have a highly extensible brand that can survive anything, then I invite you to invite me to come and kick your team's ass. Like I will come to your business and I will do the work for free. And then afterwards, you can pay me for the value that you got from this. Mm -hmm. You should see the types of businesses that came out of the woodwork asking me to come and kick their leadership team's asses around to be able to get their hands on this branding thing. Now, I guarantee you one day with me is $10,000. Just like to have me in the room, it's $10,000. I don't think it's a very big price to pay because I'm gonna just give away free ideas, stray ideas that are either gonna save your, your business or make your business $10,000 within the first 25 minutes that I'm there, right? So if you were to buy me for $10,000 for a day to do the eight hour brand and like run you through a gauntlet of alignment building exercises to transform your, your brand, you could pay $10,000 or you can have me come and do it for free and you can pay me a fraction of the value that you got right. from scaling and growing your business, which is a lot more freaking money, right? Every, every, con every contract we have has a, has a success fee option in it and nobody ever takes it because they're it's, always yeah. they're always afraid oh my gosh i'm gonna like in your case i'm gonna make six million dollars and i'm gonna have to give deb a million dollars they don't think well deb was worth a million dollars they think i will lose a million dollars and i could have just paid deb three hundred thousand right i mean yeah. that's to me I, I love your thinking on that and that and that is what that does is that's a huge differentiating factor you just gave away a way for people to differentiate themselves if they have confidence in their ability to deliver. And that's what their brand promises. Yep. I mean, or you could pay me in cat food and cat litter. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of different ways to engage. But um, th this idea of this catalytic mechanism, the confidence, uh, putting the velvet rope around things, you know, being very, very direct about the kind of success you'll get. But you know, making it very clear to the client or the customer what they're going to have to throw down in order to be successful. I met a coach a couple of years ago. He's a business coach. I think he's a scaling up coach and he coaches restoration businesses. He's super, super niched. So the kind of businesses that come in and do like mold remediation or after a fire or after a flood or something like that. And that's all he coaches. Most of these businesses are multi-generational family businesses and they come to the table with like their own sort of unique nuances and characteristics. Well, he has a coaching methodology where he guarantees for his clients he says, I guarantee an additional $1 million to your bottom line with a, within some prescribed amount of time. However, you have to do every single thing I tell you to do. Are you willing to do it? This guy has one of the most successful, most profitable, scalable coaching businesses I've ever seen. And so I really admire people who are so clear about their brand and their value proposition that they can, I mean, this is more than the velvet rope. I think this is like the, the 18 foot tall fence with razor wire, isn't it? Right. Basically saying like, if you are not good enough for me to throw down on your business, then you do not pass go. And um, the best brands in the world, whether they're services businesses, product businesses, they serve businesses or consumers, the best brands in the world, the legendary brands are not just different, 
they're unique. And I think that that's one of the things that makes them truly unique. And so I, I love, I, I love your, your guarantee, non-guarantee thing. Like, I think that's really great. And it's super inspirational. Takes, takes cojones, doesn't it? Takes oh my cojones gosh. to turn people away. I love turning people away. You know, there's two ways to go broke, right? One way to go broke is working, working your ass off. And working your ass off for the wrong clients and blowing in the wind with their every with their every desire and you know, you get tired and you're not you're not charging enough and you know, you offer these crazy guarantees and they, they decide and you're they're losing gonna, hair yeah, you're they, like rocking back yeah. and forth at your desk and you're yeah. crying. Yeah, yeah. And the other way the other way to go broke is to do business on your own terms and realize that you're being unreasonable, right? Well, so here's the thing. Nobody's gonna go broke by being unreasonable, you're gonna you're gonna realize at some point. Hey, listen, I got to tweak my offering so that people are more attracted to me. But the the first way to go broke is terrible because it crushes you, it just kills your it kills your health and it crushes your soul. So I made the decision uh, after a little while that look, if I'm gonna go down with the ship, I'm gonna go down on my own terms. But it never happened. It just doesn't happen that way because I stayed true to myself. If you stay true to yourself, if, if the people listening stay true to themselves, people are going to be attracted to that even more than they were attracted to your hokey, gimmicky, you know, unconditional guarantee. All right, Deb. So how Absolutely. can people how can people connect with you? How can they how can they work with you? I mean, they can buy the books. I'm going to put links to the books uh, in the show notes. But what else can they do? How can they get more Deb Gabor? The easiest way to do that is just to go to debgabor.com. There's a ton of stuff on there. There's videos, there's digital downloads, including that Stockdale paradox exercise that I just talked about. Ideal customer archetype exercises there. A lot of my classics, like the three brand questions, the brand values pyramid, all those things are there. I give them away for free because you need them. They're easy to use. They can transform your business. So debgabor.com, easiest way to get in touch. Um, as always, this is super fun. I love being on with you. I'm glad that you said that I was your favorite guest. You are one of my favorite guests of all time. Absolutely. We've been talking to Deb Gabor for the past hour. She is, you can find her at debgabor.com. She's also the CEO of Soul Marketing. So you can go to, I think it's soulmarketing.com, right, Deb? Soulmarketing.com. Soul, Soul Marketing. like the sun in Spanish. Yeah. S-O-L, soulmarketing.com. The books are Branding is Sex and Irrational Loyalty. All of this stuff is in the show notes. Deb, it is always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Folks, that'll do it for another episode of the Inside BS Show. We'll be back here with you again tomorrow. We'll take you inside business strategy, share all the insider business secrets with you, and cut through all the BS that's bogging you down. Until tomorrow, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.